Doctrines of Grace. I'd like to ask you to turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll get to our text in the book of Luke in a moment, but for now I want to start here in Colossians chapter 1. In our last time together, we considered in Luke chapter 6 our Lord's declaration of his lordship of the law. You remember what he said? Speaking to some Jews who were complaining about the Lord and his disciples eating corn, eating the corn on, his, on, a, on the Sabbath day, he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of Sabbath. He was speaking these things. He went into the house of God, and he did take and eat the showbread, speaking of David, and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but there for the priests alone. And then he said he did these things, that he that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So our Lord was telling them that he's not just the Lord of all things, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. This, this one ceremony that they thought they were so good at dealing with. Friday night, Friday evening, the sun started to go down. It's the beginning of the Sabbath. Okay, we're not going to do anything between now and sunset on Saturday evening. It was, it was probably the easiest of all of the laws for them to fulfill that they thought. What are you doing taking the bread of the priest or the, the corn of the priest and eating it like it's no big deal. Washing your hands. That's not the law. <coughs> Even though the law said nothing about that. These were things that the religious people of the day, just like we have religious people of today, who add what they think the law interprets, what their interpretation of the law, what their interpretation of Scripture is. You know that free willism is the interpretation of man. It's not of God. We know that God's word says it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy, right? So for people to stand in front of others and say, God has done everything he can, now if you'll get up and come down here and make a decision for Jesus, you'll have the peace that we have. That's, that's something made up. Made up by man. Our Lord declared his lordship over the law. In Luke chapter 6, verse 5. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of all things. He's the Lord of all that is. Everything. He gave us the law, did he not? He gave the world the law. It's not just something the Lord said because it would be good for you to do it. Although it is. The law was given to glorify him. The law was given to glorify our Savior. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this, do that. that. Everything in God's law was given for one reason, and that was to glorify his Son, the Lord Jesus. Look with me, if you would, at verses 12 through 19. Of Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light who hath delivered us our Father 
who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature. Now what does it say next? Are you reading with me? For by him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Son of God, of the living God, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth. Now catch this. Visible and invisible. Every molecule, every every whatever it is, we think we can be smart enough to figure out the, the things you can't even see with the naked eye, but you can look at through a microscope and see this what we call a molecule. Everything is created by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Things invisible. Invisible, whether they be thrones, whether whether it be the thrones of men. You know, we, we like to say they're not, but that guy sitting in the White House, he's sitting on his throne that God put him on. He's sitting in that White House because God, the Lord Jesus Christ, put him there. We complain about that. We're complaining against God, aren't we? Yeah, and, and I'm speaking to myself here because I'll tell you, it makes it real easy for me to complain about it. But it also says, or dominions. Or principalities. When an apple falls from a tree, we, we think we're so smart. We figured out, we figured out what uh, gravity is, right? That's a principle. When, when you put water up here and you put a little trough in it, it'll run downhill, won't it? That's a principle. Principles were created for our Savior. Or powers. Powers. Anything that may have some kind of a power to it. That was all created by our Lord and Savior for His glory. All things were created by Him and for Him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. That means that he holds everything up. You know, you know, if the Lord wanted to, all air, all air that you and I breathe right now could just cease. The very fact that you and I are breathing and we have something to breathe into this body is because Jesus Christ is holding it up. The very fact that you and I don't float off of this ball, this thing we call the planet Earth, and float off and explode into space is because Jesus Christ. It's by Him. Everything consists by Him. Verse 18, and He is the head of all, He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and that all things He might have preeminence for it pleased the Father it pleased God it pleased God to put his son in charge of everything 
It pleased God to have his son control and be Lord of all that is. It pleased the Father that in him it should all the fullness dwell. Our Lord is the Lord of all principalities. He's the Lord of all powers. Everything that is, everything that was created by him was created for him. And that includes the law that we read about. Don't do this. Don't do that. The law was given as a schoolmaster. It was given because mankind need to be taught. Don't we? As children of God, don't we know that? Can you not look back at the time before the Lord called you out of darkness? Can you not also look back and see that you were blind and had no idea of the truth of who Christ is, the truth of what he did, the truth of where he is right now. Oh, we had some kind of an inkling. We've heard of a guy named Jesus. We've heard that he went to the cross and was crucified by a bunch of Jews. We heard that supposedly he rose from the dead because they went looking for him and couldn't find him again. But we had not heard, had we, with the heart. That what he did was for us, for his people. Not until he revealed that to us. Is that, am I right about that? Am I wrong? God gave you and I. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Everything in this book that you and I read here was written for our benefit. For the benefit of his people. Folks, there's people who read this book every day. There's thousands of people probably on this one street, on this one boulevard out here, between here and wherever it ends, thousands of people who are reading this book right now who have no idea what it says. God wrote this book. He inspired men to write this book for his people and his people alone. This is how he reveals himself to his people through the preaching of his word. The law was created and manifested for you and I. Why? To bring us to Christ. You don't think so? Turn over to Galatians. You're in Colossians right now. Turn to the left over the other side of Ephesians and go to Galatians chapter 3 with me if you would. Let's look at what the Word of God says about this. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, we read this. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid for if there had been a law given which could have given life, see, that's what the world thinks. They think that, oh, if I just quit doing this, I can have life. If, if I can just turn the corner, if you'll just stop doing what you're doing and come down here and give yourself to Christ, you can have life. That's not what Scripture says. It says here that if a law had been given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it wasn't. Verse 22, but the scriptures have concluded all under sin. That means whatever you do according to the law is filled with sin. Everything you do in fulfilling the law is filled with sin. You can never fulfill the law. Well, we might as well just lay down and do nothing. Pretty close to right. Pretty close to right. 
Folks, there's only one righteous person that ever walked this earth, and that's our Savior, Christ Jesus. He brought the law. He, he created the law so that you and I would see when it came time for the day of his love, when it came time to that day, when you stood over here and you said, I see what you mean. We talked about that in my Bible study, how precious it is when one of God's people are called out of darkness. When they're brought to that point that they see nothing we can do, there's only one rest, and it's in our Savior who did it perfectly. All are under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. What does John 3.16 say? What does the world love to say? For God so loved the world. For God so loved his people throughout all time. Those that were chosen in God the Son before the world was. For God so loved his chosen people from every kindred, from every nation, from every tongue, that whosoever believeth should have everlasting life. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. Before the Lord Jesus Christ came to you in that day of the preaching of his word, and before he gave you the gift of faith, you were held by the law. You were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. I can't do it. That's his revelation to you and I. We can't do it. We remember the day when we said, there's nothing I've got to offer my God. I am worthless, unable to do anything. I need his grace. I need his mercy. That's what the law did. That's what it did as my schoolmaster. That's what it does for the people of God. It doesn't do that for the world. The world thinks, oh, I can do that. Oh, yeah, I can do that. God's people are taught, no, we can't. That's why we're over on the side, pounding our chests every day. Lord, have mercy on me. Amen. But what a blessing he does. You think, oh, I'm supposed to be over on the side of the room and just in misery all my life? No. No, there's good news. Christ did it for us. Perfectly. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. We believe. We believe God's word. The Bible study this morning was all about joy and peace of God's believers. What is our joy and peace in? It's that we believe his word. We believe his promises. We believe what he says when he says, I shall never leave you nor forsake you, even though it feels like he has. I know he's still there. And so do you. So do you. <laughs> for ye are, verse 26, for ye are all children of God by what? By faith. Not by something you've done. Oh, the world would love to say, okay, you, you believe in grace. Now, now that God has saved you by his grace, you have to do this. You have to get in the 
the waters of baptism. You have to come to the table. You have to worship on Saturday. Hogwash. God's people know better. He teaches us our rest is in his son who fulfilled it all perfectly for us. We have faith in the one who's faithful. And the only reason we have it is because he has loved us and given us that faith. Is that not gracious? Is that not bless your heart with grace? To know that our God has loved us so much that when we shook our fist in his face, he still loved us. Yeah. Christ died for whom? For the ungodly. Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'll bet you can say the same thing about yourself if you belong to the Lord. Huh? I'm chief. No, I'm chief. No, I'm chief. <laughs> Oh, this is what the law teaches God's elect. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest man should boast. That's what, that's what the law teaches you and I. Folks, when God reveals his grace to an undeserving sinner, we cannot unsee it. You just can't unsee it. I don't care how down you get. I don't care how heavy the waves come upon you. And I've witnessed this with some of you. Those of you who've shared with me the depth of those waves upon you. And then turned right around and said, but God has it all under his providence. Even in the depth of your weakness. As a child of God, you cry out, He is Lord. He is Lord. I'm not saying we come to Him kicking and screaming. No, we come to our Lord with new willing hearts. We come to Him, we see the truth that we would not have come to Him lest He came to us first. It's called irresistible grace. Part of the five points of the doctrines of grace. Irresistible grace. This is what the Master is teaching us in our text in Luke. Would you turn to Luke? Our Master, who just declared himself the Lord of the Sabbath, is going to teach you and I Maybe he'll teach one of his children who have never heard this day the truth of who he is. In Matthew chapter 6, we begin in verse 6, and it came to pass also on another Sabbath. Do you ever notice the Lord teaches on the Sabbath day? On this Sabbath day he was here, healing this one. On this Sabbath day he was here, Healing. On another Sabbath day, he was here, teaching and healing here. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, and that they, 
that they might find accusation against him. Ooh, this one who declares he's the Lord of the, our, what we do, what we call the Sabbath day. This one who in the flesh declares himself to be God. Oh, we need to find something to stop him. He's declaring that we're not righteous in what we do. Isn't that what the Lord's word says? Religious people don't like that. Some of you were religious in other religions, weren't you? If somebody had come to you, smack dab in the middle of your worship, whatever it was you were before God called you out of that darkness, and said to you, you're going to hell by what you're doing, you know you'd get a little upset about it, wouldn't you? Those of you who were religious, you know what I'm talking about. You look back on it. You say, oh, I've gotten pretty doggone angry with you. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the Lord was telling these religious men. Your religion stinks in my nostrils. Your self-righteousness stinks in the nostrils of God. They didn't like that. They wanted to find something that they could accuse him with. Verse 8, but he knew their thoughts. Folks, there is only one who knows the thoughts of men. I know there's a lot of people who say, I, I can read your thoughts. No, they can't. That's all a bunch of hogwash too. You figure out, if you can figure out how to guess what somebody's thinking, you know, go for it. But God knows what's in our heart. He knows what we're thinking. That's what it says right there. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man which had the withered hand. Now again, our Lord's speaking to you and I. He's telling you and I that he's sovereign God of all things. He can read the thoughts of every man. He can read your thoughts. He can read your thoughts. He can read the thoughts of mine right now. So he said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them. Now remember, he's, he, he can read their thoughts. He knows what's going through all their minds. They don't want to answer this question. They don't want to condemn themselves. They know that whatever answer they have would condemn themselves in what they're doing. And they're not going to answer it all. He said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. This is a man whose hand is all withered up. You know why it's withered? Because there's no muscle in it. Whatever muscle is there, it's, it's, it's uh, deformed. It can't work. His hand is withered up because it can't stretch out. And here our Lord says this, stretch forth your hand. This is the power of God. Look what it says next. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Our Lord's miraculous works were performed in broad daylight. He performed his miracles on people everyone present knew was impotent. Everybody there could see that this man's hand was all withered up. Those who knew him knew that he wasn't just in church playing. He's always been that way. Or he's been that way for how long now? Everybody could see it. 
our Lord performed his miracles in the most public manner possible that everybody could see. Imagine 5,000 people sitting on a hill and the Lord feeding them. I've shared this with before. Can you imagine being the guy down at the bottom of the hill? There's only seven baskets. <laughs> That's never going to make it down here to me. Imagine the surprise when it comes down to you and there's still food in the basket. Wow, what a miracle that guy performed. Never seen anybody else ever do that. Our Lord was not secretive in his word and what he did. The healing of this man is very instructive. It's a picture of the almighty effectual call and the irresistible grace of Christ. People think that it was just God healing a man's hand. No. This is a picture of what Christ did to you and I. This is a picture of what God does to all of his people with the preaching of his word. He calls them. This man couldn't reach out. Christ gave him the power to do so, and he did. What did the apostles do when the Lord passed by them and said, Come, follow me? Didn't they get up right away and follow him? When the Lord spoke to her heart five years after he called me, she got up. She got up and said, I see what you've been telling me for five years. Today, the Lord spoke to her heart. Look at this again for just a moment. He said, the man, he said to the man with the withered hand, here is a particular personal call. That's what it is. He didn't say to all of those who were sick in that day. He didn't say to all of those that were present in that time. He said to this one man. He said to the one with the withered hand. This is the particular personal calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, it is written that he calleth his own sheep by name. It's a discriminating, distinguishing call. We have no idea how many others were present or what needs they might have had when they came, but Luke tells us plainly that on this occasion, the master called none other but the one with the withered hand. Can we not thank God for his special calling to us? Amen. You, who sits over here next to your brother and sister-in-law, you, you, who have been dead for 40 years, I give you life and I'm calling you now. That's what happened to me. Can you not relate to that in your own calling? Did God not call you with the power of his word? Listen to these words of grace. Psalm 65, verse 24. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest. That's what God does to his people. He chooses and causes you. It's his purpose to save you. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. Matthew 22, 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ? Who makes you any different from the rest? Christ our Savior. Not you. Who maketh you to differ one from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? A man by the name of Josiah Condor, Condor 
he said, he said this, he, he wrote a poem. Tis not that I did choose thee, for the Lord that can't, could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hast thou not chosen me. Every child of God will be brought to know that exact same thing. We know. We love election. We love election. Why? Because we know. In God's word, he has shown us, he has revealed to us the truth that we would have never come to him till he came to us. As we see ourselves, the Lord Jesus called this man to do what he had absolutely no ability to do. The master issued an impossible command. He said to that man with a dried up withered hand, stretch forth thy hand. And the man did not ask. He did not ask the man at all. Our Lord commands. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our Lord commanded this man to stretch forth his withered hand, and he did so. How can this be? We can find the answer out how spiritually dead sinners arise from the dead and flee to Christ. The answer is over in Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. How? How could this man have stretched forth his hand? Look at Luke 18. Just a few pages to the right. I'll only be another moment. In Luke chapter 18, we begin reading at verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, asked the Lord, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy mother and thy father. And he said, All these have I kept, says this man, from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute it to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he had heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for the camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said these words, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Look at another one, if you would. Turn over again to the right, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the, G of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you see the relation to these two stories? This one who, uh, who was rich understood what it meant to go through the eye of the needle, or uh, put a camel through the eye of a needle. That's impossible. He's speaking to this man here. This man understands the same thing. Nicodemus says in verse 4, he said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, 
He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And then he says basically the same exact thing that he said a moment ago. All things are possible through God. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. What a picture of his grace. There's no power in the preachers who preach it. When all a person hears is the voice of the preacher, they remain dead. There is no power in our voice. But when God speaks by the preaching of his gospel, there is power, life-giving, resurrection power in the irresistible call that God issues. Now listen to these words, if you would, of our great Savior. John chapter 5, 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. How could this man's hand, who is so withered, be brought forth and stretched out and be made whole? This is how. The hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. He's describing you and I. We heard the word of the Lord preached for the first time. Irresistible grace. One last thing, if you would, look over at verse 11, back in our text of Luke chapter 6. And they were filled with madness. After they had seen the miracle of our Lord and Savior, after they had saw the, stretch, the hand stretched forth, something the man could not have done, but by the power of God spoken, he did so. They were filled with madness and communed one another what they might do to Jesus. Folks, our Lord is a dividing Savior. It says in 611, they communed with one another of what they might do to him. The gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified divides mankind. People don't want to believe that Jesus Christ is God of everything. They would rather to be gods themselves. They would rather to be just like the devil and make themselves as the high God. That's what man's free will is. That's what man's self-righteousness is. It's making yourself God. Arminianism is making yourself the decider of salvation. When God's word clearly says salvation is of the Lord. The gospel of Christ divides men. The gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done divides men. How can that be? There must be something of myself that I can add to it. The gospel of Christ where he is this moment divides mankind. He died on the cross. Don't tell me he arose again. That's impossible. Nobody's ever done that. The gospel of Christ and the wonders of his grace always divide people. And our Lord said, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Whenever the gospel is preached, whenever God does a work of grace in one of his people's hearts, the gospel separates men from families. I know many in my own family just like I did, refused to believe the truth. On this very occasion, the man with the withered hand was made whole, and the Lord's disciples were edified. You and I were instructed. 
you and I were encouraged and the religious world is enraged. How did this affect you? How did God's word affect you? I declare unto you that this day the irresistible grace of our Savior will bring peace to his elect. Maybe not this moment, but he says it will. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you?